0: as many of you probably will know, today is Jerusalem day, 2017. And as you can see from the slides, or at least I hope you can see from the slides, there's a lot of people there. And you may say, well uh, what, what's so significant about this in terms of the Bible and in terms of the truth, the gospel, uh, it, it's very, very significant this event. Uh, and uh, uh, attention, is really being drawn to a miracle of Bible prophecy. And the, um, the restoration of Israel is a miracle of Bible prophecy. And why is it relevant this year, 2017? Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can look up with me Leviticus chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. I'll read it to you anyway. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little section that talks about uh, what they're talking about in Israel at the present moment. And that is the, um, the, uh, the time of the 50th year, the Jubilee period. So Leviticus chapter 25, and I'm reading from verse 8 if you want to follow along. Thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. So if there's any mathematicians out there, you can work that out. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither shall that which groweth of itself in, in it, n- nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. And that's what I want to emphasize tonight, is the fact that this period of happening every 50 years, according to the Leviticus, every 49, 50 years, every time this happened, it, it was for every man to return to his possession, if you'll notice the wording there. Uh, it would return every man to his possession. And it was a, a period of liberty. Well, the very fact that there's, it's a period of liberty would, would uh, suggest that there has been a, liber- a period of not liberty, when there has been a period of captivity. Well, What we see is that in 1967, there was a return by the Jews to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, As a matter of fact, this event followed several others, which you would probably like to know about. First of all, we go back to the year 1917. And in 1917, there was issued what was called the Balfour Declaration, which you could say was a trigger to the Jews going back into the land of Israel. Uh, it was a trigger for what became eventually the British Mandate, and they looked after the land for a while, not always wonderfully faithfully, but nonetheless they did. And uh, so that in 1917 the land was restored to, the, to some of the Jewish people. It was, uh, it, wa- it was a freeing of the land from what was the Ottoman Turk at that time. The Turkish power had ruled over the land for many, many years. So 1917, if you come forward 50 years from 1917, it brings you to 1967. And in nineteen sixty seven it wasn't the land that was restored, it was the city of Jerusalem that was restored, a Jubilee. So if you if you cotton on to what's going on here, you see that it's a Jubilee it's a period of restoration, when every man returns to his own possession as the scripture put it in Leviticus and uh, th- th- that's, the, uh, that's the period that we're talking about. But you go to 1967 if you come forward again another 50 years from that it brings you to the notable year 2017 and many will be asking does that have any significance for us? What does it suggest? And uh, That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Well, we go back to 1967. That's what we were looking at. And that's the verse that we were just reading from Luke chapter 21 a few moments ago. When it ended up in the the phrase, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, I remember back in 1967, and that verse was quoted a lot at that time. Uh, as referring to what was going on in the land. And uh, what we find is that um, Jerusalem was no longer trodden down of Gentiles, as it had been. Uh, and so it was said that maybe the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Then other people came along and they said, oh no, no, that, that, that's not the case, because Jerusalem has got, be, got to be trodden down again yet, so that can't be the ultimate fulfillment. So, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. This is a prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ gave. It's a a prophecy that uh, that he was explaining. A few people in this room will remember 1967, and I happen to be one of them. And it was against the most incredible odds that the Jewish state, the the Jewish Israel, survived that 1967 war. As I recall it myself, uh, listening to the BBC, which I lived in England in those days, so that's what you listened to, uh, listening to the BBC reports, Israel was enclosed in what was described as a ring of steel. All the Arab nations came against Israel. There was a situation uh, humanly speaking, which was absolutely impossible. There was just no way that they could survive it. And when it broke out on, I think it was June the 5th, the, within a few hours of war breaking out, Israel Air Force gained total superiority at that time. Then they moved into Sinai. Sinai. Then they moved into the Golan, and then into Jerusalem and the West Bank. And so it was, a, it was, for those who believe the scripture and are looking for the fulfillment of the prophecies, it was a time of nail-biting, Ooh, are they going to make it, you know, that, that sort of thing. And there are the same young men today looking up at the wall, uh, as existed at that time, back in 1967, and they will never ever forget that event, and neither will I either, because afterwards it was uh, it was a time when they could go to the um, they could go to the Western Wall, and you can see the Western Wall is in a bad state of repair at this particular time because it's post-war, and so it's uh, it, it's just the time when uh, you're looking at the aftermath of war and everything's been uh, done down. But Jerusalem was liberated. Jewish people from all over the world went and visited at that particular time. It was like an awakening. It was uh, eventually there there came the realisation that this could possibly be the fulfilment of some prophecy. There was some argument about it. Some thought it was, some thought it wasn't. Israel itself looked favorably towards the idea they issued a postage stamp which is on the screen right now I think yes so postage stamp which it was issued there drawing attention to the prophetic principle of the jubilee so even in Israel the Jewish people were seeing that this was related to the idea of the Jubilee. And, of course, they would, wouldn't they? 1917, 49, 50 years afterwards, brings you to 1967, and there we are. And so there was a return to Jerusalem and the West Bank, a return to what we know later on as Judea and Samaria. Well, people looked at this and they said, well, you know, this has all the hallmarks of being a miracle. And for a long time, it was called the miracle, the miracle of the Six Days' War. There's an old magazine which I happened to get hold of from that time, and they called it the Six Day Miracle. Uh, 1967 Israel takes Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, which up to that point had been in the control of the Jordanian authorities. So it was recognized by many, as a miraculous, a divine development. Even the Temple Mount itself was under Israeli control uh, at that particular time. Prophecy was fulfilling. So, one of the prophecies we've referred to was Luke chapter 21, but there's another one, uh, which I'll refer to in a second or two, this is Benjamin Netanyahu just the other day. In fact, it could have been earlier today. The Six-Day War, he says, a salvation and a miracle. So it's being recognized as a miracle. And I believe, friends, I believe that it really was a miracle. And it's one that is going to have great significance uh, for the future as well. Um, so it's central to God's purpose, as, as we shall see. Uh, 1967, uh, that is a, 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 a frontage of a, of a paper, and uh, it talks it the, the year that transformed the Middle East, and it really did. Uh, but there is the another prophecy being referred to there, which is coming to us from Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If you want to look it up, feel free, but I shall just carry on reading, otherwise we'll never get through Uh, in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Well, that's what what was happening in 1967. So let's read the whole section of Joel chapter 3, the first couple of verses. For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, and that is what was happening, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, And will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel. But I want to stop there. Because not only was it bringing again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, as we've briefly been mentioning. It goes on to say, I will also gather all nations. Now the gathering of all nations, friends, is something that is referred to in other parts of the Bible. And one part that I want you to think about is Revelation chapter 16 where again you read of certain spirits that go forth and it gathers the nations. And it's gathering, this is Revelation chapter 16 verse 14 if you want to make a note of it. So Judah and Jerusalem was the west bank which we've seen but he's also going to gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and again notice Read with them there for my people. He's identifying the Jewish people as his people when, when you read that. For my people and my heritage. So there's two things there. They're his people and they are his heritage whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And really that's what the United Nations have done all along over many years. They've parted the land. They call it a two-state solution. They call it partition. They call it various things. Older people will remember the United Nations doing all this stuff uh, going back years ago. Well, what led up to this incredible, miraculous war? Well the events that led to the war of 1967 and the occupation of Gaza and the West Bank or Judea and Samaria uh, was just what you see on the map here. I think this one's from, uh, it is, it's from Martin Gilbert's atlas so anybody can have access to it. But you can see all the arrows going in, that's all the armies that were coming against Israel at that time. If you go north you see they're coming from Lebanon they're coming from Syria, they're coming from Iraq through Jordan, they're coming through Saudi Arabia they're coming from Sinai, they're coming from Egypt, you name it they're, they're all coming for Israel. And this is what the BBC recorded as a ring of steel around. And The, the numbers were just, it was just impossible for Israel. There's just no way they could get round it. And so What we look at here is what President Nasser of Egypt said at that particular time. And you can read this, it's in Martin Gilbert's uh, atlas, one of them. Nasser's statement in May 1967 was this. Our basic objection will be the destruction of Israel. Doesn't leave much doubt, does it? The Arab people want to fight The mining of Sharm el-Sheikh is a confrontation with Israel. Adopting the measure obligates us to be ready to embark on a general war with Israel. That's President Nasser of Egypt at that particular time. And so that is exactly what happened. There was a war mounted against Israel. On May 25th, 1967, encouraged to do so by Egypt, the governments of Syria, Iraq, Jordan and Saudi Arabia moved their troops to Israel's borders. This was the first time since the armistice agreements of 1949 that Arab armies had gathered in such large numbers. The movement of troops was accompanied by an outburst of anti-Israel statements by the Arab leaders and by their government-controlled radios which convinced the Israelis that war was imminent. I think it took a lot to realize that. But nonetheless, that was what was going on at the particular time. And the odds against Israel were incredible. I mean, I'm not going to go through all the figures on the map, but you can see that the figures are there, how many troops there were against Israel. Israel is the little black square there, uh, uh, and they had um, two, two, uh, 264,000 troops at that time. Well, you put that against what... Uh, what um, Egypt has got 240,000 troops plus tanks from Jordans and Lebanon and Syria, Iraq and Saudi Arabia. It was, a, it was a, a, an incredible time. And so, what I have to say is that our own Christadelphian community at this time was on the edge of their seats. You see, we had looked for these kind of things for many, many years. And our community, the brothers and the sisters, were all very, very... You'd say almost the end could come any time. And so it was that the brothers and sisters mounted a series of lectures to try and throw some light on the, on the matter. And so this is one of the posters that was used... Locally in the Toronto Daily Star. June 1967. The Middle East Crisis and Bible Prophecy. That was June 1967. And so it was a hasty gathering together of lectures. As you can see. Because it's still June 1967. And huge audiences attended these presentations. It's a central prophecy that was was, uh, related to various other parts of the scripture. Uh, We've mentioned two already. We mentioned Luke 21 and we also mentioned Joel chapter 3 and you can say that we also will now mention Daniel chapter 8 which is also highly relevant to these events that were were going on. And uh, this was an incredible time when all the Christadelphians in the Toronto area uh, were able to gather together and to put on these lectures and make quite a testimony to the the world, quite a witness to the world about what was going on. Well one of the prophecies as I say that was related to this was the prophecy of uh, Daniel chapter 8. Now Daniel chapter 8 tends to deal with symbols uh, and so what we have to do is decipher those symbols. Uh, I've made it into a graphic here you've got Greece which is uh, described as being a um, a, 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 a ram uh, sorry as a goat and Persia as, as, as a ram in uh, Daniel chapter 8 if you've got your Bible you might like to just check this out Daniel chapter 8 if you look at verse 20 you will see there that these, these symbols are identified for us. We don't have to guess or anything like that. We, they're, they're identified for us. The ram which thou sawest, we read in Daniel chapter 8 verse 20. The ram which you saw, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. So it's the Medes and the Persians. Verse 21, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now there's no much doubt about who this is referring to. You've got the, the Persian power as it was in those days. Uh, the Medes and the Persians. And you've also got the power of Greek in Greece. It goes further than that to tell you that it is the first king of Greece. Now we know from our history books that that was Alexander the Great. And he was the one that was referred to here. As, uh, as uh, being the, the he-goat. And so they're both coming and they're crashing. And the, the prophecy says. Behold a he-goat came from the west. On the face of the whole earth. And touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns. Which I had seen standing before the river. And ran unto him in the fury of his power. So there's a battle going on. Between the Greece, Grecian power and the Persian power. And that battle we know took place at Issus which I've circled there on the, um, on the map. That was the battle, which called the Battle of Issus and that, uh, that took place at this particular time uh, between these two powers. And we know the date of it as well. It was um, 333 334 BC when that happened. As I've put on the On the screen there. So the prophecy then is explained further. Daniel chapter 8 verse 13 and 14. He says here, he says, I heard one saint speaking and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, unto two thousand three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So this was explained uh, by a Bible student back in 1754. So that's a long time ago. Uh, His name was Thomas Newton. And what he said is in the yellow strip underneath there. And he he explains it like this. Unto two thousand three hundred days or years, because in Bible prophecy a day stands for a year, then I conceive they are to be computed from the vision of the he-goat, or Alexander's invading of Asia. Alexander invaded Asia in the year before Christ, 334. 2,300 years from that time will draw towards the conclusion of the sixth millennium of the world, and about that period... Rome is to be overthrown and the Jews are to be restored, he said. Well, if you do the math, you come up and you find that he's bringing you to 1966. And so what we see there is that he's not far wrong, because his words are, they're still on the screen, um, and about that period, these things it's about happened. So he... Says about this. So, 1966. He's not. It's not a million miles wrong when he comes to 1967. Well, as time went on, the Greek power developed into the Roman power. And it was the remote Roman power that scattered the Jews, you might remember, way back in AD 70. That was under Emperor Titus at the particular time. They, they destroyed the temple. Uh, it was cast down to the ground. It was trodden underfoot, to use the words of the prophecy. Words, by the way, which are used exactly the same by the Lord Jesus Christ when he quotes it in, in um, Luke chapter 21. So look at the amazing figures then that come out of that 2,300 days or years, on top of that is going to bring us to about 1966. Now, he's not the only one that says so. There's, there's, there's another source. It's Baxter's Comprehensive Bible, and in a marginal note there on Daniel chapter 8, verses 13 and 14, he has the note that says, <coughs> that is... 2,300 years, which reckoned from the time of Alexander invading Asia, BC 334, will be AD 1966, he says. Now, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, takes hold of this. And he actually refers back to Daniel's prophecy in, in, uh, in what he says. It's in Luke chapter 21. I'm just going to read you the little bit from verse 22 onwards here. These be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled, says Jesus. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people." Now if ever anybody reads the history of the time, Josephus and so on, you see what a a time of great distress it was and wrath upon that people. And we could go into the reasons why that was. He says, they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so that was Jesus' explanation of that prophecy, uh, which you can read. It's, it's an exposition of Daniel chapter 8, given by the Lord Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 21. But Baxter and Newton weren't the only ones to comment on this, as you might guess. Here's another comment. This was made in 1868. And I will just point out the fact that 1868 brings you a 100 years, a whole century, before 1967. So what Mr. Milligan had to say in 1868, referring to this same prophecy, was, he says, It seems most probable, however, that this period is to be reckoned not from the rise or birth of the ram, as some writers have alleged, for he was in his full strength and vigour when Daniel first saw him, but from the time when he was first attacked by the he-goat, If this assumption is warranted by the context it fixes the beginning of this period to the spring of the year 334 BC and consequently it will terminate in the spring or about the middle of 1967. If you're you're talking about June 1967 I don't know how you'd ever get much closer than that. But that's just absolutely incredible that that is the case. Um, 100 years before, here is a writer pointing out this fact. Now you explain that away. You talk to somebody who doesn't believe the Bible and so on, and you point this out and say, well, there it is. I've got these books at home, as many of you probably know. Explain it away. I I couldn't explain that away. It's just too incredible. How could Milligan arrive at that date? The spring or the early summer of 1967? How could he do it? Well, the answer is, he can't do it without the Bible. He tells us that he is working it out on the basis of Daniel's prophecy of the goat and the ram. That's how he's done it. So that's really quite incredible. But when 1967 actually came and the Egyptians were mustering their hosts to the battle against Israel at that particular time, uh, sometimes cartoonists are pretty uh, clever the way they put things together. And here is a cartoon Uh, Now Sally and I lived in Scotland at this particular time or we were moving to Scotland at this time so we had access to the Scottish paper and this Scottish Daily Express had this cartoon in it and the the cartoon shows President Nasser in a tank here uh, with his forces and they're about to cross the Red Sea and it's harking back to the crossing of the Red Sea in the days of Moses when the sea parted and they're just about to go across, and the comment is, it's too risky, President Nasser. Maybe the Israelis are being supported by a force even more powerful than the Americans. I think they were. I don't think there was any doubt about that. It was a miracle war. And so the Israeli Air Force went into action Monday morning, June the 5th, 1967. And so, this was about the time uh, we went to live in Scotland, as I say. But uh, look at the prophecy that Jesus gave to his disciples, then, in Luke chapter uh, 21. We read a section of it earlier on, but just pick it apart and look at what Jesus is saying here. Luke chapter 21, if you've got your Bible open, you might like to look at the verses. Luke chapter 21, verse 6. Jesus said, as for these things which you behold, they were, they were there looking at the temple and all the magnificent buildings that would have been there at that time. As for these things which you behold, he says, the days will come <coughs> in which there will not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now he's talking about the temple. He's not talking about the, he's not talking about the, the, uh, the, the temple platform. He's talking about the temple. Well, you go and search there today and you cannot find that temple. But what you can find is stones that were thrown down from that temple. And there they are. To me, when I go to Jerusalem and I look at this, I, I find it just absolutely incredible. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ are absolutely living before you. There it is. And so we find that that's what happened the one stone left upon another. But Jesus goes on. He didn't stop there. He says, And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, we've mentioned Titus, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them which are in the countries enter into for these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled including daniel chapter 8 and some of the other prophecies so what we see happening here then is that jerusalem was compassed with armies the roman army under under the leadership of titus and there is this thing you can see it today on the uh, on the ark of titus it's there in rome and they are carrying the spoils into captivity, of the huge candelabra there, and you see the silver trumpets that are there, uh, all these things that are, that are uh, being taken captive by the, by the Romans. Plus, of course, the people were being taken uh, the, by the Ro- Romans. Well, all these things were going to be fulfilled. And they were going to be taken captive, Jesus said, until something or other, what's he saying? Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, and so what we see is where the here you've got you've got the Jewish people being taken captive. Jesus says they will be led away captive. We're looking for the time when that captivity will end. And what's the opposite to captivity? It's liberty, right? And we shall hallow, hallow the 50th year, says, uh, says Leviticus 25, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man to his family. And so there was a great returning when well it didn't happen until 1967 right from the days when titus had compassed the city with, with his armies and demolished it and taken captive all the all the various things that were there and what we see is that uh, it was a time of liberty they were to proclaim liberty that sounds a little bit like a jubilee and i believe it was was a jubilee because, Jesus says, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now how can anyone possibly miss this? Daniel's time of 2,300 day years was fulfilled in 1967 and many have doubted that. Many have said, no, I don't, I'm not too, too sure about that because they've got to be trodden down again yet. Well, uh, hang on a minute. We've been looking at the prophecies. We've been looking at what the Word of God says. And it's quite clear that this period ended in 1967. You can come at it a number of different ways. And you, you, you get to the same result. I can't see how anybody can... Uh, Look at this, 1754, back to Thomas Newton, who was writing in 1754. We have his books today. This is what he comments on that particular prophecy. He says, Our Saviour's words are very memorable. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. It is still trodden, trodden down by the Gentiles, he says, writing in 1754. It's still trodden down in 1754. And consequently, the times of the Gentiles are not yet fulfilled. Well, they weren't in just 1754. When the times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled, then the expression implies that the Jews shall be restored. And for what reason can we believe that though they are dispersed among all nations... Yet by a constant miracle they are kept distinct from all, but for the farther manifestation of God's purposes towards them. This work still to be done with the Jewish people, he says. So this is where we, is where we end up, isn't it? Another writer, this is an, uh, 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 the writer Fred Bilton, who incidentally was a Christadelphian, and he, uh, he wrote his book in 1955. So you're now talking 12 years before 1967. Are you going to tell me what's going to happen 12 years from now, in the future? I doubt it. You could become very rich if you could tell the future like that. 12 years from now? I doubt it. Well, this Christadelphian, he had a shot at it. And this is what he had to say in his book, The Apocalypse and the Gospels. Fred Bilton, 1955. Because Jerusalem, and he's very clear, that's his uh, wording, because Jerusalem, i.e. old Jerusalem, so he's talking about the old city, must be possessed by the Jews prior to Christ's return, so that he might manifest himself to them as their deliverer and saviour, the ejection of Hashemite Jordan from there is a foregone conclusion. We can look then for developments which will result in Israel's getting possession of the whole city and for a dreadful conflagration kindled by that spark throughout the Middle East. You see what he's saying, can't you? Jordan is going to be moved out of the old city. Well, they were in 1967. That's exactly what happened. They were moved out in 1967. So he says the the conclusion that he looked for is quite clear. But he goes on to say that a dreadful conflagration will be kindled by that spark throughout throughout the Middle East. But we're not just talking about the old city. Another writer, this is John Thomas writing in Eureka, in 1868, and several people would have copies of this, this is what he says in that book, 1868. He says, there will have been a considerable gathering of Israelites upon the mountains of Israel before the invasion of the country by Gog and his capture of Jerusalem. Now he had worked it out from the prophecies that there was going to be a considerable gathering of Israelites Upon the mountains of Israel. That's the West Bank. The mountains of Israel are the West Bank. And this is going to happen before the country is invaded by Gog. He's referring now to the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 38. And his capture of Jerusalem. So it's written a whole century beforehand. Before 1967 ever came around. So we, we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, what's happened since then? What has happened since 1967? What happened uh, to, the, to, the, to the Jewish people? Well, look, we're looking at two stages of restoration. These are the population figures... That you can uh, that you can check up on. Uh, there, there, on the, uh, my source is the Israeli Central Bureau of Statistics. It was published in May 2017, so it's fairly well up to date. Uh, and I happen to know the the, the the person who puts these things together. He he uh, he's a friend of ours that that, that is in uh, Beitel, and and he he puts together. These figures. And he does it for. Uh, Arat Sheva news. And he does it for. One of the. Um, one of the. Uh, MKs, they call them. A member of the Knesset. Uh, he, he works for him. But what you can see from the chart. Without going into the detail. What you can see is. How that the population of Israel. Has rocketed. Since 1917. Through the First World War, to 1947, and after that, shooting up again, uh, because there was a terrific uh, reflux, return of Jews after the Second World War, as you may well know, uh, and that shot the figures up again. But ever since then, ever since 1967, they've continued a gradual increase there. So that today, what we have is... 721,000 Jews living in the West Bank. That's putting together the two uh, figures there. The 421,000 that are in Samaria and the uh, the others that are in uh, Judea. And, but adding to that, those who are in the eastern neighborhood of Jerusalem. 300,000 there. So it's putting the total... West Bank population up to 721,000. I would say that's a considerable gathering of Israelites upon the mountains of Israel, wouldn't you? That's what you've got there today. No wonder Mr. Trump has failed to mention the idea of a two-state solution. What are you going to do with and? what did I say, 721,000 Jews. You're going to m- kick them all out? They had hard enough time trying to get, rid of, get, them, get them out of Gaza. But to do this would be... Uh, like, it's, it's not surprising that the idea of a two-state solution is being dropped. And you may notice, if you listen to the news, that uh, Mr. Trump, in his recent visit to Israel and Saudi Arabia the Vatican, he hasn't mentioned anything about a two-state solution. The idea has been quietly dropped, which makes you wonder, well, what are they going to do then? But that's where, that's where the things are at the moment. And the Trump administration is under quite considerable pressure on a number of fronts. One pressure is to for them to move the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, and recognise Jerusalem as the uh, as the eternal capital. And this is a photograph that was taken just a few days ago in Jerusalem, uh, showing the the sort of thing that's going on there, where uh, you know the poster says, "Welcome, Mr. President. Time to move the embassy to Jerusalem." So. Things are going on, and it shows you the sort of pressure that's mounting on the uh, on the Trump administration. How long can Trump or the United States of America resist the mounting pressures? How long will it be? And if ask yourself this question, if either Israel annexed the West Bank or in some way or other they came to be in total control of it and the two-state solution was dropped if that happened what would be the reaction of the world to that? Ezekiel chapter 38 here we come I mean it's, it's, it's just asking for it it's just asking for it there will be a huge conflagration uh, started by that spark, he says. And so here's Mr. Trump doing his bit, poor chap. He, he thinks he's going to make peace in the Middle East. He's going from the Saudi Arabians, he's going to the Vatican, he's gone to Israel. He's wanting to make peace. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a negotiator. He's, he's a, a real good negotiator. He's very good at upsetting everybody but getting on with everybody at the same time. That's what negotiators do isn't it. So uh, here he is with uh, his friend Mr. Bibi. And um, they're, they're... the news tells us where things are at. And we have seen a, a, an incredible change in the fortunes of Israel and their position Uh, during the recent time. Uh, This sort of thing would not have been seen a year ago with Mr. Obama. You're kidding. Couldn't have been seen. But there it is. Uh, It's happening. The news tells us where things are at. And so Israel and America are getting on very well and America's going to stand by her ally Israel and they're not going to budge and it's going to be fantastic and uh, an unbreakable friendship and all the rest of it. So all, all, the, all the nice words are being said. But but not everybody is happy because Mr. Trump faces some problems the scripture says or God says through the scripture I will make Jerusalem for all the peoples a burdensome stone move the embassy to Jerusalem there's a burdensome stone for you all the nations of the world will gather against it says the Tanakh that's the Jewish one you're beginning to see the situation developing in this way at the moment. In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it an international gathering of nations against Jerusalem ever heard that before well that's what the prophecy is talking about and uh, what we see here is written in 1868 in that book we referred to earlier Eureka a great crisis is going to develop He wrote, in the development of these events a crisis is formed such as the world for magnitude and importance has never seen before. And so there is forming a great crisis. And that crisis can be summed up this way. Israel against the world. That's what it is. Israel against the world. But this is preparatory to the greatest move the world has ever seen. And that is the establishment of the kingdom of God upon earth. Because you see, as I said, not everybody is happy with Mr. Trump. I don't know how well you can see the headlines here. But uh, this is the express newspaper. The one headline says, Donald Trump meets unimpressed Pope Francis at the Vatican. Two leaders exchange sharp words. So, things ain't going too well in that department. The negotiations seem to be faltering a little bit. Uh, Also, the Supreme Pontiff did not smile as he greeted President Trump outside the study the two men then posed for photographs and the Pope kept a stern face while President Trump was with him being photographed. There is the signs of some difficulties arising. And not only that, because when Mr. Trump had been to visit uh, the Pope in Rome, and that was, was it yesterday or today, he went on from there to the NATO summit and to address. You'd think NATO, but it was actually it was who he addressed was the um, the Europeans. He addressed the Europeans. So there's a lot of difficulties mounting now, uh, and you can see a split coming between Europe. I'll call it Roman Catholic Europe and Israel and America. And those of us who are studying prophecy know full well that this is exactly the picture we would expect to happen. The world will face this crisis, but the Lord Jesus Christ will step in. Well, my time's gone, folks. I could probably talk for another hour, but anyway, I won't (coughs) bore you with that. What you've heard tonight here is just a smattering, it's just the beginning of all that there is to say on this subject. I don't have enough time to explain everything. I've done my best to sort of, as it were, point a direction. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to urge you to read the Bible and seek help in understanding its true message. This is what we need to do. We've got to understand the true message, and we need help to do that. It's a little bit like the Ethiopian who... the disciple Philip went to see in the Acts of the Apostles and the, the Ethiopian says what does this scripture mean so the Apostle Philip he, he replied and he says he tells him about the gospel of the kingdom that's the good news of the kingdom and that's what we've got to find out about We've got to come to a good, clear understanding of the good news of the kingdom. And all of us, even when we've studied it for a long time, we still need help in coming to a right understanding on these matters. So I'm going to leave you with this thought, that we are now on the very verge of the establishment of the kingdom of Israel. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some hard times ahead. But nonetheless, this is where events are going. It's the future kingdom of God upon earth. And so, all I can do is urge you to look into these things for yourself. And on the basis of the faith that will be generated in you by God's word, you can then move forward and look forward. To the hope of Israel. To look forward to the hope of the kingdom. And to be in it yourself. And with all that that means. Which includes everlasting life. And uh, all those good things. Which are to come. But we have to understand it. And as. A man I never actually met him. But what he used to say was. Faith and obedience that is the divine dictum faith and obedience that's where it starts so come to understand develop the faith and obey it and one of the first acts of obedience is the act of baptism and so I urge you to look into it